Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past, and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. All right, welcome to Growing Up Fire, Season 2, Episode 12. Halfway through Season 2, and I get a beauty here with me today, Glenn Martin. How's she going, Glenn? Good, just living the dream. (laughs) We're in uh, beautiful Buffalo Point, Manitoba on Lake of the Woods, which we can't see because there's so much snow and ice, it's froze over, but uh, this would be one heck of a place to do this podcast if it was July and we're looking out on the lake. Here together doing some work, right? We got a long history, long run together. Uh, We'll talk about that as we go through the day here. But uh, tell me about getting started. Tell me your growing up fire story. Right on. Yeah, my dad was a volunteer firefighter in Three Hills for about 10 years. My first memory, I think, is when they used to do a ride on the fire truck with Santa. And so I got picked up and got to jump on the fire truck. And my dad has a scar over his lip. And I noticed... uh, that Santa had that same scar and I got thinking, well, this, this is dad. And I got back and I told my mom when I got back there, I'm like, yeah, dad, Santa. <laughs> but that's my first memory of the fire truck and dad being in the fire service. How, how old were you? I must've been like four or something like that. Like really young. Firefighting is awesome, but Santa's ruined now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, and it was funny cause it was, I, now you could never do it, but it was on an old midship pump. Okay. So then we're riding out in the open air with Santa. Oh, sure. Yeah. We're the fire department. Living the dream. Yeah. (laughs) And I think the other memory, I have like two other memories. I think one memory is every small town has a hotel burned down, I think. But yeah, so I remember that happened on a Sunday, obviously after a Saturday. Was your bar called the zoo? No, it wasn't the zoo, but (laughs) it should have been. Might as well. And I remember watching, so I think dad ended up going late in the night and then the whole town basically comes and watches the whole progression of the, so I remember watching that. And then when I was young as well, I think I might've been in elementary school or something like that. And uh, they had a grass fire and they were short guys. So my dad drug me to the hall and the chief's like, well, just throw them in the fire truck. So I got to go respond to a, basically a ride along for a right. county fire. Yeah. And they were bombing out in the fields with the trucks, putting it out. So yeah. that's, those are my You're two. just loving it. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Those are my main memories I'd say of. I love the hotel story. <laughs> so for me growing up, it was the outlaw Inn. our bar was called the zoo. It was the restaurant, the hotel, the off-sale liquor, the bar, right? Uh, everything all in one building and it went down and I was about 12. We were walking to the, the theater at night, right? So the night before it burnt down, burnt all through the day and we're six o'clock walking to the theater and there's all the diehard bar guys, eh? They're just sitting by a campfire. Just, the zoo will never die. <laughs> And I remember thinking like that must have been some kind of fire, right? Later on, you get in the fire department and you're looking through all the pictures and you see there's the old outlaw in zoo fire with, uh, you know, we had the cab over superior 1981 truck and they had this old rescue unit that had a billion kilometers. Someone gave it to them and 
old rescue two or a fire truck two, which is now the barbecue truck in yeah. Slave Lake. And so it was fun to see all that stuff. Right. And, uh, everywhere we go, every small rural place, you're right. Everyone's got a hotel fire, right? You see them all hanging on the fire hall and everyone's got the story and it's always the local hotel slash restaurant slash bar slash everything for everyone. And, and away they go. eh? So that's cool that you, that you got to see all that and be part of all that. So do you think you're four years old, you're riding the Santa ride in the fire truck? Do you think then you decided to be a fireman or when do you think you actually decided to be a firefighter? I think that was it right there. Yeah. It's either, yeah, basically it was going to be a firefighter and something else. Like I never knew because I really only knew the volunteer service. So it's right. like, okay, I'll drive a dump truck or whatever. I was, I was obsessed with equipment. So it was either that yeah. and uh, firefighting or something else. And the volunteer that your dad was, so you, that's the system you saw. So you're just like, okay, I got to get a real job, but not knowing that it could actually be the whole thing. Right. Yeah. That's cool. So, um, fast forward a whole bunch. You, you went to school and took forestry. Yeah. Right. And, uh, so you got out of there and you're going to be working in the forest industry. I think, what was your first job? I'm trying to think. Uh, first job was working for a consulting company at a high level. Doing so just region surveys. Stuff. Oh, yeah, surveys. Yeah. Just, and, okay. Just, crawling through muskeg right all day <laughs> and then you end up in slave lake with chelsea yeah so chelsea and kirsten are working together in a travel agency and uh, of course i show up and say hey, hey glenn is he a good guy or what <laughs> and of course she lied for you and yeah <laughs> <laughs> i had a pulse that was the main thing right <laughs> and next thing you know boom you're you're a firefighter and it wasn't long and you're a firefighter in slave lake and whitewater yeah kind of covering the whole thing I remember like probably I remember lots of calls with you, obviously, but one I remember really well today was when uh, Kenny passed away, had a heart attack there. And so that was just across the street from your house. You were obviously one of the first guys to get there. I got there, longtime baseball coach, uh, friend of the family for me. And yeah, I just remember your face, right? You looked up and you'd already been working them for quite a while and kind of give me that little bit of a shake with your eyes that we all know so well. Right. And, uh, we dug in there and, and got her done, but I'm sure you remember that day as well. I remember the, the thing I remember about that is it's just a shock when your pager goes off and then I heard the address to pull a drive. I'm like, well, that's the road I'm on. <laughs> and I literally, I could have walked across the street, but I jumped in my forestry truck cause I was on call with forestry. So I jumped in and ripped across the road and then realizing it's right there, forgetting I had all my first aid stuff in the truck, but it seemed like forever there was me and Bob Monty who were working them. It seemed like absolutely forever. And I remember that everyone in Widewater knew I, I gave him the update. So everyone was flying, but I remember, I think you beat Widewater out because I remember, you knew I was by myself, very new firefighter and I was in a, in a tight spot. And I just remember that that was, I think everyone, all the fire department beat the ambulance out. I think if I remember yeah, I'm correctly sure on that one, yeah. like it was literally everyone knew where I was at and yeah, I, I left knew. straight from my house. Right. So easy yeah. for me. I don't have to stop the fire hall and get the truck out or 25 K in probably eight minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I might've went over a hundred. I can't remember, but, uh, yeah, definitely when I pulled up, uh, we were in tune pretty quickly and, and getting through it. So it's hard in my mind to believe that that's almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. Which yep. is super weird because you're only like 25 and I'm only like 20. So yeah, that's exactly. weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that fast. yeah. I I guess that's the thing about the fire service, right? Yeah. Life maybe. Yeah. Time but flies. I remember one thing about that is that you and Bruce Turnbull both made sure that everyone got back to wide water because we didn't get a ton of codes. And I remember that leadership that you made sure that no one went to work. 
you said, don't, I don't care if anyone's late for work, we'll call them, we'll sort it out. But I remember you pulled us all into the fire hall and we sat around and talked about it because I think, and I think it was mainly for me just because I was on my own, but I you included as a, you created a group that we had a place to share and, and work through that stuff. Even before mental health was a big push in the fire service, you were already doing it and Bruce was very cognizant of what was going on as well. Yeah. I would tell you for sure that it was for you because you were new then, but I would say it was for me too, right? I yeah. mean, Kent left in the ambulance and Shannon, his boy is standing right there. Yeah. Again, played baseball with him, friends our whole lives. I give him a ride into town. Yeah. And so that whole incident was full of the things that ruined careers. Luckily, it's all good. Yeah. But uh, probably because as soon as I dropped him off, got an update, ran out to Widewater to let you guys know the bad news and and uh, kind of talk it through, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but, I mean, we often did that. I, again, yeah. I think that the fire department knew that PTSD and mental health was important way before it ever became the big thing that it is today, right? Yeah. Like there's a big spotlight shining on it. But I think that most of us knew that it was there. The problem has always been that men are not the best at sharing our feelings. And so we've had to get through that. But knowing that we had to talk about it and knowing that it was important, I think in most places was already there. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the early days, you're living out in Canyon, living your best life there. You got a dog named Gus and, uh, <laughs> and you and Chelsea are living in the house and you can go ice fishing whenever you want. You're on forest fires, right? Let's talk a little bit about forest fires because you got a heck of an education doing that as well. Yeah, for sure. No, so I, uh, at Nate, they give you your wildfire training course. And so you're basically a hack member once you finish your Nate, but they didn't hire very early. So a lot of times I had ended up doing a bunch of forestry jobs for mills and contractors and stuff, because I didn't know if the government hired me or not. Looking back, it probably been fairly easy to get on, but at the time, like, we'll take the sure thing. So then finally, I think I, I got a full-time job as a ranger in Slave Lake. You end up looking after a bunch of different things, but everything that the young guys wanted to do were all the fire rolls. So you end up starting out with initial attack. Then you move on to looking after type two crews. And at that time, forestry had changed it so that you could only be fire and only be timber and only be lands. So they were short staffed. So they basically, they started just stuffing me in positions that, you know, and if you sink or swim and if you were successful or made a few good decisions, they keep on pushing you along. So it wasn't very long. I ended up as a duty officer there and then right. looking after a, the kind of a division supervisor. In, or in a crazy busy place. Like yeah. Slave Lake back in those days was you're doing 400, 450 fires a year working with a pile of beauties, right? I yeah. mean, we'll name some names, but you'll <laughs> never get them all, right? I mean, uh, who didn't learn from Ambrose, yeah. right? Along the way, who didn't learn from Mike Turcott, uh, Ian Johnston. Yeah. There's uh, Jason Pancreato. Lots that came and went as well there, but, uh, you know, those are some mainstays around there. Uh, got to work with, obviously, get to hang out with Leah Lovequist and, <laughs> and Sean, who's on the fire department, right? Yeah. So it's always fun to just go through that. And when I think back, it's kind of like a, a role of police officers I've worked with and forestry people I've worked with and EMS people I've worked with, firefighters, right? Yeah, Slave Lake was a cool place to kind of, let's call it grow up. Yeah. And grow into this firefighting lifestyle that, uh, that you're in today. Right. Yeah, for sure. Who knew we'd end up, you're here, you got like six kids, you're a full-time <laughs> firefighter. You've been doing it 20 years. Like couldn't write that story better myself if I tried <laughs> <laughs> full-time firefighting job with forestry. You're also trying to do the volunteer firefighter thing, which is obviously tougher in the summertime, easier in the wintertime. Yeah. Right. What were some of your, the forest fires that stick in your mind? There was a bunch of little fires in Slave Lake. Bigger, before the big one, there was a bunch of, like the first one was a 15 hectare fire right behind Leah's house, actually. 
remember going to that one. It was in the fall. And oh, right behind Ridge Bridgers there. Yeah. Burned all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the first interface fire I remember. And it was just cool because you got to work with Lee and Sean and it was right on their, on the property. <laughs> yeah. And then I think 2008, there was the Wagner fire. And that's the one that was, it's about 150 hectares. And that, that, that one, all the outbuildings were saved or all the structures were saved other than some, a few outbuildings on that do, one. Do you remember some of those cool things we saw there? Yeah. Like, like that aluminum boat that just melted through the trailer. Like <laughs> yeah. It was literally just melted through the trailer. That was a cool one. Uh, what else was there? Uh, and even like just that one too, I remember Bruce lost his shop. I remember how horrible that felt. You know, he yeah. still had his house and, and it just certain things. Okay. He lost his shop. And then you start seeing like, that was kind of a precursor to what happened in the slave lake fire you kind of see that loss and and it wasn't structures and stuff yet but it was a big fire ripping towards town and it should have been a big wake-up call for all of us yeah for honestly sure. 100%. it was such a close call yeah yeah bruce's shop burnt down and then uh, everything in that sea can remember it it just like puffed right out <laughs> yeah everything inside was burnt and then i remember his outhouse you walk up to the front door looks like an outhouse two walls look like an outhouse. <laughs> other two walls like completely burnt off like yeah gone right and you're like what kind of firefight happened here yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah bruce's shop burning down kind of became famous for lots of reasons right one of course then he became the the biggest fire smart guy that we ever had in the, that part of the country yeah rebuilt it all metal pushed the trees back did a bunch of good work there um but then all also, every time we had a big fire, we were worried about Bruce's house, right? Yeah. So even in the 2011 fire, we were busy sprinkler in his house and and saved his place and lost a whole bunch of other ones, right? So yeah. it's kind of uh, became one of those things that just gets talked about, right? Yeah. And a few other fires I remember too is just there's a few that I flew over that were way beyond resources. So you, you literally just sit back and watch them. And so you see great big thousands of hectares burning full-on crown fire just rolling and again it was one of those things where you can't touch it there's nothing you can do with it so just watching those and just seeing how it behaved that was pretty cool too yeah there's nothing like seeing a crown fire from a helicopter yeah right you know you're 4,000 4,500 feet and that thing's just rolling through the sky and you get to be out in front of it and see what's going on the very start of the slave lake fire 56 I got to go out there and see that thing rolling through the Pennzoil road and and I just like it's hard to picture. It's hard to explain to people what that's like, right? And you know that the people at home are just like, well, why don't they just go put it out, right? Like, yeah. get more fire trucks, get more bombers. They just don't understand the size of that, right? Yeah. Like, that that column's going all the way up to space, that yeah. smoke column. The fire's burning a 100-foot spruce tree, like that. Yeah. And thousands of them, yeah. tens of thousands of them. And so, uh, yeah, that's well put for sure. Dale Thomas has a picture from oh, way, another beauty way yeah. up in the nose one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh it it showed it was i think it was a mitsu fire or a chisholm fire i can't remember exactly but he's way up he's i don't know how many feet he's up in the area i think he's he's getting up there though and then he's got a picture of a little 215 doing a drop which is a monstrous airplane but yeah he's doing a drop on the fire and it looks like a little speck on his picture he's so high up and the fire is so huge and, and you can see the little tiny bit of water coming out the back, but literally completely ineffective on something like that. But it was just neat to see that puts it when people ask that you show them that picture and it totally puts it in perspective. I got to go up to one of the Talbot fires. I can't remember if it was two or three on the way home. We stopped at the loon tanker base 
for lunch, of course, because that's what we do. <laughs> and uh, Kevin and Parkinson and Ian and I were all there. And we just got finished lunch. We're chatting everyone up and we're like, okay, we got to go. We, there's a bunch of new starts, right? So we take off. And the fire was kind of in between Peerless Trout and Wob. Yeah. And uh, it's going away. And so I think our entry was 4,500 feet or something. So we're, we're up there, right? And then below us, they're going to start doing bomber runs. And so the, the CL215s were all lined up there, three of them with a the bird dog. And I have a video of that. And I just thought at the time, like, I'm taking the greatest video anyone ever got. <laughs> Later on, you look at it, and it's like two little microscopic things going through my screen and my phone, right? <laughs> so when you're there, it's it's so real, and it's it seems so close. Yeah. But then later on, it just never does it justice on a phone or a camera or whatever, right? So, yeah, good one for sure. That was a fond memory of that day. I was happy that we got to go home and we didn't have to stick around. Yeah, exactly. Run the whole fire. <laughs> Guys like you were always doing Drop that. into the muskeg and yeah. be wet all day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was good. Okay, so then uh, we fast forward. Let, let's talk about the day Chelsea got in her accident a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. Right? Uh, that was a, a crazy day for me. That was the, the first time that something like that happened to any firefighters that I worked with. And so I'll kind of let you tell the story, I guess. Well, the kind of starts that I was on call with forestry and for some reason my phone wasn't ringing. And so all of a sudden I get a, there's a page on the uh, Slave Lake channel for, on our pager. And it basically, it said for Glenn Martin to call the duty officer, which was you at the time. I know something's wrong at that point. Like it's, this is not good. And so I grab my phone and I call, call you. And uh, I guess Amy Watton, you tried calling for, she tried calling me, but she got a hold of you and you said to page, page me to call you. So it ended up, yeah, I, I, I call you. And then you hear that Chelsea has been in an accident. She was driving to something in, in Edmonton and she got, it was right by Stony Plain. She got T-boned nice. and she was in the back and she uh, ended up having, her face was cut up and she was, and she was really sore from getting that impact. But other than that, she was okay. But we didn't know that at the time. The details were like, she's been in an accident. We don't know how she is. I, my heart dropped and I didn't know what to do. When I talked to you, you're like, just come to my house, meet me at my house and we'll get you sorted out. We'll get down to see Chelsea. So I forgot you about think my- think I drove fast the camera. <laughs> you can imagine what I had planned for that day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so anyways, uh, I, I, so I rip up to your, I think I ripped up to your house or you met me at Forestry, but I had my dog Gus in the back of the truck and I forgot about him. And so I'm flying, he's thrashing around back there and I showed up to either the fire hall or your place. I can't I think it was my house. Okay. Because we left the Gus there. You just grabbed <laughs> Gus. I'm like, I got Gus. And you said, I'm going to get you to the city fast. Don't worry. And I was picturing that we're in the duty officer truck, lights and siren, flying down to the city. But in the meantime, you'd planned, you called Slave Air and booked a flight for me. Got me flown down to the Muni airport in the city when it was still open. And I took a cab down to Stony Plain and was able to see Chelsea. And she was just, she was rattled, but she was... She had glass in her eye and stuff like that, but she was okay. Like there was no major injuries other than the glass in her eye and just really stiff and sore for a lot of days. But, uh, I remember cause I, and I tried to come back and thank you and you're like, Oh, it's the fire department. Like, no, that wasn't, that was you. He's like, no, the, the fire department did all this. Like, yeah, but it, that's the way it works. And, and then the firefighter society paid for the flight and the fuel, I think like I didn't, you literally just threw me in a plane and I was hundred yeah, percent looked after. We probably can't say where the fuel came from. Yeah. Okay. Other partners involved in the, but it, yeah, like, I, like there was, I, I had nothing to, I didn't, you know, we didn't, no kids just had a dog. My dog was looked after and I got down to the city to see my wife and, you're lucky you got Gus back, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My kids took care of that. If you weren't allergic, you'd probably <laughs> still have them, right. eh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me and my partner. 
Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So it was just one of those ones, right? It all worked out the timing and the time of year. And there was some guys from Slave Air on the fire department, right? So yeah. Garnet and uh, the Crash Brothers were easy to get together and, and get everything together and get you out there, right? That and was then, an awkward flight though, Coots, because <laughs> I had flown, I forget who the pilot was, I, I can't remember his name, but he flew me on a smoke, smoke patrol for forestry like the day before. So I'd been flying with him, chatting away, having a good time. It was a blast. And then I get in that plane and I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm sitting there crying away. And like, he's like a pilot and he's not, uh, he's, he's trying to be understanding, but like, what do you say to a guy that's bawling in the back of your plane? Not like a limo driver where he could just <laughs> yeah, shut exactly. the window. you will be okay. But, uh, you got to sit there and just uh, look out the windscreen and yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he got the whole point of it. Right? Oh, for sure. It's, it's uh, just probably an awkward flight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the drive would have been fast too, but not never as fast as a plane, right? And you so, crank a deer or something on the way, and, yeah, yeah, or cause an accident or whatever. So that was the best we could come up with. We had first started with a helicopter, but uh, they're not quite as fast, and and it's not quite as easy. I guess we just assumed because we're the fire department that you could just land on the front <laughs> front doorstep of the hospital, do whatever we needed to do there. But uh, so that worked out good. So to me, that was like, that was the first time anything like that happened while we were on duty and working and it was busy. And yeah, it's funny. And everyone that day, we had like the fastest society meeting you ever saw in your life. And we just said, Hey, what, it, it's going to cost what it costs. Yep. Here's the situation. Not one person said how much does it cost or where it was just like, everyone's voting yes. And everyone that's not here is voting yes. And yep. get, get the guy where he needs to go. And then we'll figure out how to get him around when he gets there. So that's to me, that's growing up fire. Mm-hmm. That's the fire family. That's the that's the one that we all talk about, right? I know it's not the same everywhere and, and all of those things, but I've been super lucky in my life and I think you've been super lucky in your life to see that over and over and over again. Yeah. Multiple ways, right? Yeah. Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres Emergency Vehicle. This is our mission, to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres Emergency Vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. Okay. Wow. That was, we got through that one, buddy. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about the 2011 wildfire now, right? Um, We both have lots of cool stories and saw lots of crazy things, Um, but let's kind of set the stage. So you're getting ready to leave town. Yeah. You're moving away. Your house is for sale. You've uh, accepted a job as a full-time fire guy and, and you're moving away. Yeah. So now let's talk about what the 2011 wildfire feels like (laughs) in the middle of all that. Yeah, for sure. I, I I remember there was a test you do before to make sure you're not claustrophobic and you have to climb a ladder. And then the next day you get your gear issued to you. So I got all my bunker gear and everything else. So I went to my friend's house. We're going to stay there for the night and we're having a little bit of a party to kind of celebrate. We get a text from Ashley Bond, Chelsea's good friend down there, and basically said, hey, Widewater and Canyon are on evacuation alert. And so we're like, oh crap. So, And the highway by Mitsu is closed because it had burned in Mitsu already. 
So we jumped in uh, the car. Chelsea drove us back. So we had to go through Swan Hills and we came over top of Swan Hills and we could see the house mountain fire there, which was just a long skinny fire. And this is middle of the night by then. I think it's one in the morning and the thing was still raging crown fire. It just a complete wind driven fire. It was just a little cigar ripping across. And you could see the orange glow of the Slave Lake fire. On the way there, I'd called you and said, where do you need me? And you said, just, well, just get a rest in and show up at the Widewater Fire Hall in the morning. So Chelsea's doing all the packing. She's trying to wet stuff down around in her yard. Like it's kind of an absolute scramble. Right in the middle of Canyon Creek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we ripped in and then got to Widewater in the morning and Bruce got it all set up. And then we came in and started fighting fire in Mitsu that morning. It's funny, like, you know that the fire is going to get worse in the afternoon, but it didn't look bad at all in Mitsu that day. Like it was just. Oh, it was down to nothing. Yeah. yeah. It was. Yeah, honestly. And like I heard the stories that, because I missed when you burned up pump two and not you, but. Jared Cedar. <laughs> Jared Cedar burned up pump two. <laughs> and like you heard that fire behavior, like, well, maybe it's just a one day run, you know, when they had pretty big winds in the forecast, but we were handling basically everything. Things would pop up. We'd handle it. The timeline is so vague because I worked so long. Everyone worked so, so long that I don't, and it went dark in the afternoon. So I don't know the timelines of these things, but yeah. eventually it started brewing up really good and. As a fire department, we pulled out, got out of the way because it was just too hot and tried to reassess. And so we, we I think we're, oh, we're back. And so we came back to the fire hall and then we're sitting there eating pizza. And then Kirsten's like, what is that? She looks over and there's a huge smoke column, way bigger than before. And so then we all ripped out. I think it was me and Kim Romaniak ripped out there and took a look at it. And it was right by the tourist info booth. All right. And that's when it hit the, the spruce there and it turned into a full on crown fire. And at that point, we're like, well, and I think they'd called for it at Forestry already, but we got on the radio and we're like, let's evacuate the southeast and the northeast. Like, this is not good. And then we came back out to the main road, Highway 88. This is going to be our last stand. So we tried to last ditch effort on a sprinkler system on the, in hindsight, it would have been smarter to put the sprinklers on the houses, but the kind of the theory back then was to put the sprinklers on the roadside. Yeah, nobody knew anything about sprinklers really then they, they lots of talk and lots of pretend but yeah that was a, a new concept still back then yeah so we tried to do that last defense line and so we had all of our rigs lined up there and then it, the, the smoke rolled and it turned pitch black and we know the fires on the tourist booth side and it's coming towards town and then the ember shower started and uh you could see little spot fires in the ditch because it was so dark that you could just see maybe 20 feet and so you're seeing the ditch start to light up and so we start not knocking down all these spot fires, but with limited water, we already burnt a lot of our tanks off. And so we're limited water trying to put all these spot fires out in this completely black area. And all of a sudden, Carl Hill came out with a different rig and he yells at us all like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, well, we're putting these spot fires out. He's like, the whole town's on fire. We didn't realize we're standing on 88. You can see the flames approaching, but those embers are raining into town so far. Yeah, It was 100 kilometer hour winds. So we're all yelling at each other. You can't see anything. And just... It was absolute chaos. And so then we it's ended all up... all the way to Main Street already. Yeah, yeah exactly. But the first thing we do was you jump in on 13th Street yeah. and started working there. Well, when we scrambled out, I think... I forget who... I think Richard Chimago and Craig Bilsma and I ended up on the rescue, which has 200 gallons of water on it. And it was half spent already. And 13th Street started burning. That was the most helpless feeling at, of the whole Slave Lake Fire for me because you ended up with one house burning... And then it would lick under the soffits on the other house and start burning, burning that one down. And then probably 20 minutes later, fully involved, bump over to the next one. And literally it was just chewing through 13th street and we're just watching it house by house by house. Yeah. Yeah, It was just, and no matter what we tried. And so we're, we ripped back to the fire hall and Ryan and Logan got me set up with some 65. 
So we had a bigger hose line and then we just took a pipe wrench because they didn't have a hydrant wrench on the rescue. And we took a pipe wrench and ran 65 off the hydrant and the hydrants were starting to fail at that point. So yeah, just a mediocre stream off that thing. And we tried to find the biggest spacing between those tight houses and try and hold it there. And I remember we're spraying, keeping it cool, keeping it cool. I think we might get this one. And then all of a sudden something went in the garage beside us. And I don't know what happened, but it felt like the whole thing lifted off. I don't think it was the one that the roof lifted off, but you could feel the pressure and the yeah. soffits blew down. Like Somebody's propane tank, acetylene tank, something. Something yeah. blew up in the thing yeah. beside us. And you're like, well, we don't got BA. We don't have anything else on. It's getting smoked out. So we tried, <laughs> we stepped back a little bit. You're really pushing it, but we stepped back a little bit and we started soaking down. And again, it just chewed right through all those houses. So it ended up, I think they called for, they needed water for the hospital. Like at that point, you're like, you made the decision that, we can't save everything. We have to pick our priorities now. And so I heard over the radio that we got to get to the hospital, and put that out. We need water too. And so I was looking and there was a spillet truck. I can probably say this because it's probably seven years yeah, after, but okay. yeah, there's this. Plus they're good guys. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. So there's, the, the, there's a spillet truck just idling on highway 88. I'm like, well, we're not doing anything here. And so I stole that and I drove it around. It took a long time to figure out how to put the thing in pump gear, but different than fire truck. But we drove that around and I ended up bumping in with, uh, I think Slacker and, and Brian Carlton were there. Yeah. So we tied that truck into pump four. I think the driver that was riding around with me in my pickup on uh, 12th already. Oh, really? <laughs> That's <laughs> funny how that all connects. <laughs> okay. This is coming together yeah, now. Yeah. But then I think, and then, so then we were there and the fire kind of shifted. So it, what the hospital wasn't threatened anymore. So then we jumped in, it was Slack driving, Brian Carlton, me and someone else. I can't, I think it was Danny Schmode maybe. And so we're trying to find a place where we can actually be effective. And so we drove by the government building completely on fire. We watched the Ford lot. There was a bunch of F-350s lined up ready to go to the oil field. And I remember we're looking there like, well, it's just trucks. Who cares at this point? But you'd watch and one would be burning and then the tires would blow out. Then the alarm would go off on the one beside it. So the lights would start flashing. You hear the alarms and that would catch fire and it literally just chewed down the lot. Like, okay, yeah. boom. If it wasn't so alarms. sad, it would be funny. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, then, and so then I remember just, so, so Brian's like, can't do that. Can't do that. He's using different words, but can't do this. Can't do that. Can't do that. And we ended up uh, going by the high school there into that Springwood area. Yeah. Is, yeah. So we, we started going up that road and just then a big gust of wind came and with that black smoke, we, completely lost sight of the road so slacks driving trying to keep it on the road the sidewalks <laughs> exactly and the only way he could tell where the road was was when embers were trickling down over the one curb and then trickling back up the other curb you see the embers pushing through and that's the only way we knew where the road was after that so then we got into springwood and we ended up there's a pink stucco house there i don't remember whose house it is i think i've told you this before but yeah but that's we finally got the house that was pink stucco and we had pump four tied into a hydrant just barely nursing it along like just enough to get one hand line going and then terrace was ripping he saw us there and he could just rip back and forth there's a little back road through there a little trail yeah. and he just came back and forth load after load after load after every every contract tender was basically shut down by then no one was no one was sticking around was bush baby yeah. out there just barking through the neighborhood exactly yeah. <laughs> he, just, he kept us in business and we finally that's where we started saving houses in that little pocket there but that was the first real success we had but I think the hardest part about the whole fire was uh, the cell phones went down. And so Chelsea was sitting in Canyon Creek on evacuation alert. And she was mad because she wanted me to hook up. Her. We have that crappy trailer <laughs> and she wanted to have that hooked up behind the truck. I'm like, no, 
if you're evacuating, don't bring that piece of junk along. Yeah, just go. And she's still <laughs> mad to this day about that. But then she got evacuated to town because town was obviously the safe place to be, right? That was going to be the defendable area. And so she came to with Lisa Gall to... Park the, at Walmart, probably. Well, they didn't park. They went to her house and then, and she called me to let me know what was going on. But like the phones were not working. So it was just like voicemails. That's all we ever oh, got in the yeah. end. And so I'm like, okay, she's in town. And then I was on Highway 88. I thought she was gone already. Like I didn't know. Like she told me the story after. I thought she was on the road and getting out of there. And I was watching YouTube videos of Slay Lake Fire one day and I saw her in my truck in a lineup of vehicles just barely moving along yeah. and embers raining around it. Like I didn't realize that's how, how tight it was. it was. Yeah. And as she was, so as she was leaving her house, so even before that, she's leaving her house and the smoke column was pointed right over top of her house. And, uh, she, and that was the first message. Glenn, I don't know if our house is going to be standing. Like we're all out, we're safe. And then the second message, she was driving out of town and I, she realized that the flames were put, like the fire was in town. She realized that she didn't know where I was. And the second message was, I love you. Yeah. Be safe. Be safe. This yeah, may be yeah. it. Like that was but, the, uh, yeah. And, and, and she's like, I know you're with Jamie and I know, I know you're with Bruce and I know you'll be safe. But yeah, like it was one of those ones where still, yeah. she, yeah, like that could be her last conversation or her last voicemail to me was she, what she was kind of thinking. And I didn't realize how hairy it was for her, her to get out. Yeah. And they finally got out of town. She, uh, in the fight, it always looks different than on the outside of the oh, fight. Oh, for right? sure. Yeah. And then she, they were trying to get in the, yeah, the fire on Flatbush around Flatbush or she had to go up through Athabasca. And I think in the end, she was in our truck with Porter in the back, screaming his head off. Yeah. She couldn't, and oh, yeah. two dogs in the back. Can't stop. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was 14 hours or something like she spent in the truck. Oh, by the time yeah, she finally man. got out with him just losing it. And yeah. And there's not, and you can't stop or whatever. So he was, yeah, that was a, and even like Porter after he had black snot out of his nose and like, I got my truck serviced while she was down there. I'm like, just get the truck serviced. I won't do anything. Like I'm not, I'm working. And they looked at her cabin filter and it was just black. Like it was, yeah. yeah so and yeah. anyways, that was not good, right? No. And then I think we ended up going to, then we, like, and we didn't know. So I, once I knew Chelsea was out and safe, she gave me the last voicemail. I'm like, okay, it was a lot easier to work. But again, we didn't know if our house was standing still or not. And then we ended up going, making our way to Widewater. And that's when the fire hall burnt down. So we were out at some other house and then. Someone called on the radio that, that the, the hall's on fire. So we ripped around with our truck. We only had a quarter tank. And after seeing how effective water was on those fires, we just looked in there and uh, tried to pull everything out that was any, of any value. But it was starting to scorch the vehicles that were lined up because we parked right beside the building when we came in the morning. And so we were trying to scramble, get our keys out of our bunk, uh, get our keys out of our jeans <laughs> and get those things moved out. And it's still unbelievable. Hey, yeah. yeah. Like, well, yeah. Tell the rest of that story. Like, well, Melody Scar. Yeah, yeah. Like I think the tail lights of a lot of vehicles melted, and a lot of a lot of uh, headlights and stuff, depending on the part how they parked. And then uh, Melissa, she had she her house had burnt down, and she didn't know what at the time. I don't think yet, but everything that she owned was in that car, and she couldn't find her keys. So she ran in there, and by then it's the, the flames are at the back of the hall, so where that little. Uh, there's a little workshop at the back and it's rolling starting to puke out the front door because we had it wide open because we're trying to get our stuff out and so finally i think sean went back in and checked her boot and she had put her keys in her boot and she was able to pull her her car back and then basically that's all she had left from what she owned yeah and then i think i just Crazy, eh? i don't remember much else other like it was such a whirlwind all these things happened but i, I remember sleeping on the fire hall bay floor and then sneaking up, it got really busy because you could see all the people pouring in from everywhere. Oh yeah, two thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah. it was just like, 
chaos, right? Yeah. And then I snuck up to the gym and slept for another couple hours, a couple hours, but yeah, that was, and then back at it. Yeah. I didn't even find out that the wide water fire hall burnt down until, well, everyone went out there, checked it out. And then you got dispatched over to the water plant. And then on the way back, you guys found out that the fire hall burnt down, but everyone just kind of went to work. No one said anything. The truck was out and everyone was still working. Yep. So no one really said anything. There's some pretty famous pictures of <laughs> that thing burning to the ground. Right. But, uh, by then, I think, you know, you'd seen so much destruction and so many things go down that it was just like, there's a truck tree and a house tree and a fire hall tree and all these trees are burning yeah. down just like all the other trees. And yeah, it was chaos, right? Yeah, I felt nothing about the fire hall. Like it's, that was, we. by then it was no emotion at all at that point of the night. Yeah, for sure. Not that we had great love for that firehall anyway. Yeah, the upgrade was nice. <laughs> it was better than no firehall, but not by much. I never got to see the new one in action until I got to see it after. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, it's just crazy how that goes, right? And and then, so you get through those few days, and then you got to go and start your whole new life. Yeah. While your friends are stuck back there, and your house is still there, and you're you're trying to learn how to be a full-time firefighter. Yeah. I mean, that couldn't be easy either, right? Eh? No, like, because I ended up working, I was supposed to sneak off after day seven, I think, but I met Chelsea in Westlock and then I went back and I worked the full 11 because I'm like, this is my last chance to work with these guys and like, there's a bunch of beauties and, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I was going to miss it and I knew it. So then I hunkered down for those days and they kind of weekend off and then I started training, but yeah, I was completely gassed. I was, I, so I was in rough shape going in. Close to the end of that was the, the helicopter crash. And I, and I don't think this would be a podcast if we didn't at least talk about the helicopter crash. Yeah. I mean, uh, you got to see pieces of that that um, regular people don't get to see. Yeah. So there you go. I queued it up for you. Okay. Tell, tell us about the helicopter crash. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think we're somewhere by Birch Road there, just putting out hot spots. And then over the radio, we heard there's a helicopter crash. Brian Carlton was the captain again, so there's no way he's sitting around in a hot spot when something's going on. So we jumped in the truck and we ripped over to, I think we parked in Lucan's yard there just to see if we could help. And by then, I think the Calgary guys got the pilot to shore and then the Parkland guys were working him or vice versa. But then over the radio, then Forestry on the manifest said they had an engineer on board as well. So two other Calgary guys swam back out and we're at Lucan's yard. So we stole the paddle boat. So Brian and I paddled out your son was also there i don't want to i should want to tell that yeah, story in front of you let's not yeah <laughs> let's not let kirsten hear that okay well, let's, let's just let, well, we can leave that out maybe but, but <laughs> everyone's heard that story. okay okay good yeah but anyway so we take this paddle boat out and we're trying to and this is this is may long pretty much right near may long and it's the water the ice just went off so we took the paddle boat out and you can't see into the helicopter so we're basically just jumping into the water trying to swim down and figure out what's there. We don't have any flotation devices or anything. We weren't really set up for that. We're in Whitewater's truck and we're searching as best we can, but it's hard because the fuel had spilled. So there was jet B on top of the water, or jet A on top of the water. And so every time you tried to put your head in the water, you'd get a blast of fuel in the eyes. And so you're basically trying to feel around in a helicopter that's half submerged to find this extra person that was supposed to be in there. It turns out there was no one else in there. And, uh, which literally took 30 minutes to sort out and figure out. And, yes. Yeah. Which is, and that's the way it always is with the communications. Like it's, it, it always seems to get, something gets lost in the communication. Best laid plans, right? <laughs> yeah. Obviously the day that engineer started out that day with the helicopter, cause he was on the manifest, but yeah. somewhere along the line, he went to another helicopter or got out or whatever. Right. Yeah. So then we get back to shore, we're hypothermic <laughs> and then we got jet a on us. So then we had to get the gross deke on. 
And that's when you gave me your shoes because yeah. <laughs> I had no, I, I dropped all my gear. Oh, you're just yeah. like two freezing soaked dogs on the shore there, just right sitting <laughs> yeah. on that dock. Yeah, and getting and then we got hosed down by the fire truck, which is even colder because we had to get the uh, yeah. So we had oh, soap yeah. and soap and a hose line hitting us, and then you saw me with no shoes, so you gave me gave me your shoes. But the worst part of that whole thing was when I met Chelsea and Westlock. I said. Like I need some comfy pants. I need a bunch of socks and a bunch of underwear. Oh no. You trusted your wife to that. Did you? Well, and I think she, <laughs> she, and then she told me like, I'm sorry that all they got is like, I had tidy whities <laughs> And so I'm getting deconned in tidy whities like, This is embarrassing. But like, that's all they had in the store that she shopped at. Like, sure. Glenn, great. Sure. Yeah. Whatever you say. Yeah. If, that, that and Spider-Man. You wore those yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, then we ended up going end up at the hospital and yeah checked us out we're oh, all fine we it's were just, actually just pretty worried about you guys there it's uh you know giving up our our shoes were the least things that we could do right everyone was trying to give you guys a little bit of clothes and and uh, at least get you back up to the truck so you could get to the hospital get your eyes checked out and stuff but yeah everyone was pretty like you say may long weekend right like literally there was still some ice cubes floating around out there and yeah. so that water is super cold and you guys were out there for a while longer than you think right yeah i didn't feel that long because we we're just adrenaline was pumping but when you came out then you realized yeah just jackhammering it's crazy eh? like those kind of accidents if anyone ever had a chance of living it was that guy he was out of the water in minutes and had the best paramedics in the province working on him and yeah got to the hospital which you guys had saved a few days before <laughs> that and and uh, didn't work out for him but uh everyone gave it their best shot 100 yeah. percent, right so okay 2011 wildfire anything else that you really remember about that uh yeah like it honestly it was such a whirlwind it's it's hard to th <laughs> those were kind of the high points i think yeah yeah and just uh, the other thing too was just the the way the the slave lake crew came together because i remember we didn't really have places to stay it was kind of complicated but we just tightened up as a group because there's people from all over the place everywhere and i just remember always being looked after by the slave lake crew like that was yeah i'll always remember the same right it was it was probably the first time in regional fire service history where there truly was no boundaries there truly wasn't there was just firefighters there was 60 some 63 of us didn't matter where you came from or which hall or we were just there together in that hall fighting that fight and and i think that carried on after for a long long time they talk about that eh? the the firefighter family yeah right 100 that all of those uh female firefighters you had in widewater you guys were kind of the hotbed of female <laughs> firefighters and then uh you know the grizzly farmers from out in flatbush there and and uh, the folks from smith and it was uh, a cool time a crazy time but a cool time Okay, so anyways, yeah, so you, you move on to the, the new gig and you're a full-time firefighter doing that. Got to listen to us talk about all the aftermath of that and, and work through all that stuff. Of course, you were always a fan favorite. Let's call Glenn and ask him about this and ask about that. You and Pat Zaz, eh? always <laughs> a couple guys that uh, moved away to be full-time guys, but we were always able to reach out to and stay in contact with and, and hang out with. Try to keep track how many kids you had, but it was never never easy. <laughs> Firefighters can't count that high. So. <laughs> <laughs> Always got brought back into the conversation when it was about innovation. So structure protection, forestry, firefighting, all of those things. Um, like I say, you were a fan favorite. Everyone would say, well, let's call Glenn and ask him about this pump or that sprinkler head or this firefighting or how this went. And uh, so how did that feel that we were always reaching out to you? And I felt really good. Like you feel very valued and it's funny because you talk about the sprinkler stuff. Well, I was taught a completely different standard. And after these fires that we've had recently, things changed. 
but I didn't realize how far your crew had came along until I went, it was 2019, I think when we did the Martin beach deployment. Yeah, yeah. And so I watched and, and the guys that were doing it were, they were kids when I left. So it was Ryan and Logan, you know, yeah. and, and Patrick. They were the babies. Yeah, they were, they were literally just kids, right? And so then you show up and you still picture them as kids. And then I watched them doing these deployments and seeing how they're doing it. Like, and they, this is all stuff they'd learned. Like they figured this stuff out on their own because the, the material wasn't there. They created basically what they were doing just to see how effective it was. And their systems were very simple, but very effective. And that's kind of what got me on board. So then when they started doing this training, they brought me in. Yeah, literally they had they'd come up with the bulk of the stuff and I was just seeing little innovations for different types of pumps and more different flow rates and stuff like that. Because I was picturing, I learned a lot in my new job just about max flowing a ladder out and I just applied the same principles to a smaller sprinkler system. And that's kind of how, okay, yeah, so they kind of pull some of that info for me and now we're building some pretty cool new things here. I guess we've done a lot of sprinkler work, right? Through yeah. the years there, we got to have some shenanigans in uh, Chisholm. Yeah. <laughs> See, I missed, I wasn't there for Chisholm, but yeah, uh, you guys yeah, did. Yeah, we did some of that. And then in 2011, obviously we did a bunch. Your your favorite guy there, the old Roach there, he, he was uh, your mentor back then. <laughs> Partly why I didn't like sprinklers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we got to play around with them some up to that point, but mm-hmm. uh, nothing like after right i think the five years after 2011 right up to fort mcmurray we learned so much about sprinklers and helped drive the conversation so much that uh, it was cool and I, I hear what you're saying yeah you show up 2019 and you think oh these kids right i i was different i got to see them every day yeah and so it didn't take long i would say by 2014 probably that wabuska dump fire i learned my lesson just step out of the way and become a crew member yeah these these kids got it and that's right. the thing yeah they're not kids but it's just <laughs> no, yeah. you, yeah, that's how you picture them like yeah. i feel bad saying that but no it's yeah. but it's true right yeah. i mean they're young they're yeah. early 20s uh, teens some of them but you think about they grew up in it they were juniors and like so they have that not much experience they just got it really early yeah and got to spend every day right yeah. 8 10 12 hours a day depending on the season working on improving that and the equipment and and that stuff and so i think that that's why you were always one of those guys right this is well let's call them up because if you didn't know by the next time we called you, it's like calling Corey Whitlock. I'll tell you what I know about it right now and call me back in two days and I'll tell you everything. About He's read 15 textbooks between <laughs> yeah. now and then. And so you're like, oh, wow, holy <laughs> smokes, right? We've been working on this for 15 weeks and we don't know that much about yeah. it, right? So uh, it's nice to always have those guys in your life, right? Where you can call out and say, hey, what, what do you think of this? What do you think of that, right? I often watch you and Patrick do that when you're having your innovation meetings <laughs> over a case of beer and, and trying to uh, figure out who's right and which pumps the best and you always have your own inside jokes it's like a whole another language of (laughs) spu and uh, sprinkler work that you guys got going all the time so it's fun to watch i don't understand a damn word of it (laughs) neither do we by the end (laughs) yeah maybe big circles big circles that's all the conversation is (laughs) that's awesome so yeah we always appreciated that still to this day appreciate that Uh, we're always working together on jobs and, and doing all kinds of stuff so Let's move on. The good, the bad, the ugly of firefighting. What are your favorite parts? I think it's always just been that the whole team mentality. I think that's that the best part. Like I played on hockey teams when I was young and it, this is same feel. Like it's, and people looking after each other. Like I remember just before I moved to the city there, I didn't get a chance to renovate. We're, I was halfway through a bathroom reno. I don't know what I'm doing. And I got in a jam and Kid Romania came and 
he renovated the bathroom with me. He did everything. And I'm like, okay, how much do you want for this at the end? He's like, no, no. I'm like, he literally spent yeah, another whole BMA. weekend. He would just drop everything and help you out for yeah. sure. Yeah. And then Bruce, and I, so I told him like, what he's like, no, Bruce didn't help me with my shingles the other day. He just paid it forward next time. And that's kind of the way it, the fire service is, no matter where, where you're at. If you're in the volunteer department and the service I'm in now, everyone has that team feel. And if it, someone's in a jam, you're going to give them a hand. And I think that starts with, you know, you taught me that early on. And then if, yeah, just, I don't know how to say it, but yeah, like it's, it's just part of the culture. That's the, that's probably the best part about firefighting. Yeah. I, I hear you. Yeah. That family piece. Eh? Mm -hmm. And when it's not there, you really see it. The, those fire departments struggle. The, yeah. You know, they'll never be the same as the other ones if they don't uh, come together. Right. Yeah. And so I always wonder, right. I never actually, like I had lots of full-time jobs in the fire service, but never actually worked as a full-time fire. I've heard it said a million times. I've said it myself with some of my own full-time jobs in the fire service that if you really want to wreck a passion, turn it into a career. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, there's always the good. We mm -hmm. talked about that. What are some of the bad or the ugly pieces that uh, that you don't love about being a firefighter? We're not naming names, probably. Yeah, I'm not naming. No, like <laughs> it's just like right now. It's I think it's just a disconnect between the people that are on the floor understand, and I, I have not had very little trouble getting along with anyone that's on the floor that you're working with. Operational, operational, and then as soon as you get past that, sometimes it seems like people either don't understand or forgot what it was like. And that's, that's where the hardship is right now. I think some of that administrative operational. Yeah. Are we actually on the same set of tracks or is someone on a siding here and someone else is on the tracks? Yeah. But I've always, I've always felt that, you know, it's always been good at the working level, but it's like sometimes past that it's been the issue. I mean, we got to spend the last couple of weeks here together working with Buffalo Point Fire. And and I think you got to see that, right? Where yeah. there maybe wasn't all the direction and every all the pieces weren't together. You start training on day one and they're all friends and they all know each other and they fought some fires together mm -hmm. and spilled some blood in the mud sort of thing. But by the end, you kind of see that, oh, wow, these guys are really going to make it, right? They're yeah. a team. They've bonded. And so to me, that's the... It always makes me sad when I hear about these fire departments that aren't bonded, that aren't the family mm -hmm. style and, and where it's just a bunch of people doing a job, right? Yeah. Maybe they're connected within their shift. Maybe they're connected within their hall, mm -hmm. but you know, you lose that connection to everyone else, yeah. right? The bigger it gets. And I mean, how can you, you're the city of Toronto and you got 16, 1800 firefighters. Everyone can't know everyone, right? We get that. Yeah. And, and that's too bad for the fire service. But sometimes we come across the little ones and they're not even all aligned. Yeah. And and you wonder um, how that will go. Yeah. Well, even here it was so cool because you could just see that they were friends before they were on the fire service even. Like you could see the connection and then they worked immediately. They worked together as a team at Buffalo Point. Like that was the coolest part about this. Yeah. And yeah. You even know, when they stole your Jeep, they were working together as a team. Exactly. That, that We were honored that our Jeep was stolen. <laughs> That was an absolute honor. <laughs> More honoring that they gave it back to you later. Yeah, and it was like a, it was a gentle prank. It wasn't too too, too harsh. <laughs> but it took four people, two teams, right? They were the two in, two out. Method. Yeah, exactly. They, they followed all of your teachings right through the entire prank wars, and they won. Training was complete right after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that part. All right, so this is it. You got the microphone. You're staged to the world. Okay, it's a pretty small world, but <laughs> to my world. What are you going to tell? Brand new firefighter starting a day. What oh, advice you got? Just as a brand new firefighter, just it's a great career. Just make sure you look out for people around you, and they'll look out for you. And yeah, I, I don't know. Just uh, work hard. Don't worry about the politics. Just focus on the job and serving the public. 
There you got it, folks. Glenn Martin, lifelong friend for me. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time together. Lots of great stories. We'll be building more stories every day, every place we go, every Buffalo point out there. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, Glenn. Appreciate it. Uh, another episode of Growing Up Fire. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.